and um, <clears throat> I actually started working on this message uh, January the 26th, and so it's been it's been brewing for a little while. And again, it's I suppose it's a heavy message. I want it to cause you to think about the condition of your heart and your spirit. John chapter 13 and beginning in verse 36. John 13, 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The rooster shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And I want to preach to you here tonight about Peter the backslider. Now, you know this story did not stop. It doesn't end in John 13. Nor does it end in 14, 15, John 21. You know that's not where it ends. So we do know there is a recovery that any backslider can make. And I thank God for that. However, if you don't know you're a backslider, and you continue to move along in your life without any spiritual promptings. That's what the enemy wants, is for you to just burn the clock up and waste your life so that um, you're lost. Let's ask the Lord to touch His Word here tonight. Our gracious God, we, Lord, are here again. I believe, Lord, that preaching is worship. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you would intervene, Lord, in the hearts of this church. And I pray, Lord, that even in my heart, let this message strike fire. I pray, Lord, that my own heart would be stirred and the Lord that we would look and that we would not deceive ourselves I ask you that tonight in your powerful name in Jesus name Amen Amen you may be seated I have a little book in my library it was written somewhere late 1800s. There's not a date in it. 
Um, however, the man that wrote the book, his name is A.M. Hills, and A.M. Hills was a contemporary of a man uh, that you may have heard of whose name is Charles Finney. Charles Finney was one of the evangelists that was in the 1860s, 1870s, and very much stimulated what some would look at as a revival movement in the United States of America. This book that A.M. Hills wrote is, is only right at 90 pages, a little small uh, book, but it packs a wallop. And he focuses in, in this little book, on two characters, Peter and, and Lot. And the title of the little book is Backsliders and, and Worldly Christians. And then the subtitle is Cautions Against Slipping Hope for the Fallen. Some of the quotes that you find in that book um, are as follows. Too many Christians have far too light an estimate of heart unfaithfulness. I have sometimes heard them speak of five or ten years of half-heartedness as a very light thing, slurring it over, as it were, with a very thin and superficial sort of confession. In another place, he says it like this, manifestly backsliding is not a new thing since the angels backslid in heaven and our first parents in Eden, and it has continued through the generations to this hour. In another place, he writes it like this, the devil can pretty much do as he pleases with people who are asleep religiously. Everything is optimistic and rose-tinted. They do not see any peril in worldliness. And, and you re, I read this quote, now you realize how dated that this book is. But he says, They see no peril in worldliness, nor in the theater or the card party, none in the dance or in moderate drinking. Parents will lead their children into all these things and never wake up to the evil they have worked until the fatal charms of sin have bound them and they are fast slipping into hell. Conference that I went to, there was some mention of some things that, that I look at that is disturbing uh, to me as a whole. I don't know if you are aware of it. The meeting I was at was in California. But there's a large number of churches that not just in California, but all across the United States uh, that have never opened up after the COVID restrictions that started back in March of, of 2020. That means that now for two years, there's a host of these churches uh, that their doors are closed and nobody even goes in to those churches anymore. Another alarming matter, and I did mention this to my wife, is that there are uh, somewhere around 1,500, perhaps as many as 2,000 pastors a month that are quitting uh, their post and resigning their churches for a variety of reasons, 
various denominations. And, and uh, while I'd like for everybody to be Pentecostal, um, I can't tell you how detrimental that, that is for our nation at large when you have that many ministers that are falling away and that are stopping what they're doing. There's another alarming thing that, is, that has happened, and my mind was drawn to this at the conference as well. There's an app that's called TikTok, and uh, some of you may be familiar with that, and some of you may even uh, look at that. I think it's probably a benign app, but anyway, what it does is records videos that last anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds, and what happens is people scroll through that and they're watching those things and the attention span now that people have uh, is, as one documentary said, that people now have the attention of a goldfish. And I know that may seem funny uh, that people have the attention of a goldfish, but I started thinking if that's the case, then how difficult is it going to be for people to sit through a 30-minute or a 50-minute or a 60-minute sermon that someone preaches because the attention span, the people that are listening, their minds wander because they cannot focus and track on the things of the Word of God. Those things are alarming uh, to me as I begin to think about the direction of our country and our nation and even Christianity at large. Started preaching through John 13 a number of of months ago and just kind of rehearsed some of the things that I said there. John 13 through 17 is what I have referred to as the upper room principles. Although John 17 primarily is a prayer that the Lord prayed there in Gethsemane. There are five chapters, 155 verses, somewhere around 4,000 words. As I preach to you, this is the fourth message that I am, am coming to you tonight from this segment of Scripture. And, and the first principle that I mentioned to you was the one of, of servanthood and then of that matter of self-examination and then the matter of self-sacrifice. And tonight, I want to preach somewhat on the theme of self-deception. And we've looked at the actions of, of Judas and, and how that Judas went and followed the direction that he followed. And I preached a message uh, to you about Judas the betrayer. But now, tonight, I want to preach to you about Peter the backslider, the man that, that we look at that at this point in his life, think about this, he, is, he has seen a host of miracles. He has seen three people called back from the dead. That would be the son of the widow of Nain. He has seen Jairus' daughter. Uh, he's seen her resurrected from the dead. He's seen Lazarus. He's seen that man come out of that tomb. Can you imagine the impact that it would have in your life that if you were to witness those particular things? He's watched uh, the Lord feed the masses with 
uh, young man's lunch. He is, he's watched how that the Lord commanded that they should go find a fish. And then that fish, when he opens the mouth, there's a coin that is inside of that fish's mouth, which is sufficient for them to be able to pay the taxes that Caesar is demanding for them to have. There, That is where that Peter is at whenever he's hearing what the Lord is having to say now in John chapter 13. And, and uh, you look at this, and, and, and in this, uh, not just this text, but when we take the Gospels and we weave them together. There's four times that you find where that Jesus declare or that Peter rather declares his loyalty to the Lord. And and yet before the night is over, these declarations of, of loyalty that he has is that is that the Lord will look at him and the Lord will warn him about those particular things that that he has said. You've been around the church for any length of time. I'm sure that you have have observed that whenever people are in a sense of serious spiritual decline, there there are, are trigger words or there are words that you may pick up on in their conversation where that they seem to be particularly outspoken about the strength of their own spiritual relationship. You may hear them about how that they insist that they are committed to the truth or they may say that there is a, a determination that they have to give themselves to prayer. You you may hear them talk about how that they are still reading their Bible and about how that, that they are going to continue to show up to the house of the Lord and yet somewhere behind all of these words that they're saying, it's almost like it's, it's an empty rhetoric. It's words that they're using perhaps not so much to convince you but to convince themselves that they're not on a slippery path there is something about it that, that people that are in a solid place, then they don't have to spend their time trying to remind you of how committed that they are to the truth. And they don't have to spend time telling you how committed they are to prayer. Their life literally is enough of a testimony as to who and to what they are in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when people are constantly having to tell you where they are spiritually and and uh, it's usually indicative of some kind of, of troubling spiritual issue that they may have there inside of their own life. And, and so Peter comes along and he speaks out four different times about how that he has this alleged loyalty and commitment that he has to the Lord. And we can track them here in the Scriptures. Two times we find him in the upper room and then two times they're either on or near the Mount of Olives. And I want to point out some of you, some of these here tonight, and I uh, will deviate some from this text here in John 13 to draw out some points from these other areas that, that we gather in. But, but look there in Luke chapter 22, and Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, the Bible says there, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. 
And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. And then the text that I read to you here tonight in the opening of of the message, John 13, 36 and 37, that was another time that Peter spoke there in that upper room in that small place where that they were at. The next two of them, you find them on the Mount of Olives. One of them them is in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31. The Bible says there, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it's written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But I am risen again, and I, but after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And then in Matthew 26, and skipping down just a few verses there in 34, here is what Matthew records. Jesus saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, that this night before the rooster crow, thou shalt deny me, Thrice Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all of his disciples. And so tonight, looking at those and those four times where that that Peter begins to speak toward that matter. I want to draw out some lessons of these scriptures here tonight. And, and first of all, there's three points. So if you're keeping track with the points, you'll know when I get to number three, and it's the shortest, you'll know I'm almost done. But these lessons, first of all, he had great disrespect toward the Lord. You ask yourself, how in the world should that happen? Well, in Luke chapter 22, Luke is the only one who records the words of the Lord where that the Lord says, Peter, I I prayed for you. He says that in verses 31 through uh, 33, and and I just read that to you. There's a warning. That, that is given to Peter that Peter there's an enemy and this enemy is desiring literally to try to destroy you he's coming in the direction of your life and what he he wants to do is he literally wants to get you off kilter so that uh, you lose your way in this slippery path. But Peter, instead of paying attention to the warning of the Lord, you see his response there in verse 33. He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He has great disrespect for the words of of the Lord that that is there by insisting. He's saying, Lord, I I don't care what happens to you. I'm willing to go with you no matter where you go, no matter where you land, no matter who accuses you. In fact, Peter had no idea that the, the, the details of that night would unfold as they would. But this warning that the Lord gave to Peter Peter, it it was not just needed by Peter, but it was needed for my sake, and it was needed for your sake. 
Because I want to tell you, church, that the devil desires to have you so that he may sift you like wheat and literally try to destroy everything that's in your life. Don't let it escape your mind and your spirit what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44 when he talked about the enemy of our soul being a liar and him being a murderer. And I, again, I, I want to be careful how I delve into this, but you know as well as I know that none of us five years ago knew what fake news was. We just trusted, we just believed what they're telling us is just all this the truth, it's whatever. But, but there is, we have understood and come to realize that there are elements of deception that's woven in the mass media about how then they want to control our thinking and want to control the direction of your life. The enemy wants to do that very same thing in your life as well. He wants to feed you information. He wants to get inside of your mind. And what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3, 4, and 5? He said, I'll tell you what the enemy wants to do. He wants to lock in a place in your mind where then there are strongholds and that there are imaginations that begins to exalt itself against God. And hear me tonight, church. We're going to be, as we get closer to the rapture, the darkness of deception is even going to impress on us even more. And the reality is this, is that the only hope that we have is the truth of God's Word. That's why preaching is important. That's why your interaction with the Word of God is so important because it is the only Word of truth. It has more integrity than the Wall Street Journal does. It has more integrity than the highest elevation of any information that is not just in this nation, but it's in the world. Why do I say that? It's because of what the Word speaks of itself, that heaven and earth is going to pass away. But the Lord says, my Word, is going to last forever. If everything else is going to pass away, then there certainly ought to be a relationship that I have with the Word and that you have with the Word. And yet Peter, instead of him taking that warning, he had great disrespect and, and even that disregard of truth of what the Lord was speaking to him. And, and again, if you take this warning seriously, it's going to affect the places that you go to. It's going to affect the people that you spend time with. It's going to, it's going to affect the voices that you hear. Is because there's so much that the enemy wants to try to get into your heart and into your spirit and so the people that you fellowship with and the practices that you pursue that there is something that you have to realize that we must daily pray for strength and what strength is that is that our faith that it would not fail those words there 
fail not, which the Lord uses, comes from a Greek word from which we get our English word eclipse. And, and you know what happens with an eclipse. Eclipse is, is whenever there is the moon perhaps comes in front of the sun. And it's a really a remarkable thing to see if you have never seen it before, to watch the moon. And they say you don't look directly at the sun. And, and uh, they used to, they hardly, they don't use this anymore. They used to use films uh, for x-ray. And now it's all digital, so you can't do that. But there were times where that uh, whenever you would have a, an eclipse that you would take a, a piece of uh, x-ray and you'd cut it in three or four pieces and stack it on uh, three or four deep. And then you could go outside and you could hold that up and you could look up at the sun and you could watch that eclipse that was coming across because what was it doing? It was, it was blocking out the light that was coming into your life. And that's the word that, that Luke uses. He said, I want you to understand this, is that, that the Lord is interested that our faith, that it does not become eclipsed by the things that would try to hinder and would try to stop the direction that your life is going in. I wonder if Peter would have thought of that whenever he writes his epistle 20 years later. Whenever he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, when he says it like this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then he says it like this in verse 9, Here's the remedy and here's the hope that we have against the lion, against the, the, the lion, L-I-O-N, and against the L-Y-I-N-G. Verse 9, he he said, whom resist steadfast in the faith, in the truth, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And yet Peter had that sense of disrespect toward the Lord's prayer. He he, he, not only that, not only did he have that sense of disrespect against the Lord's prayer, he, he, he also scoffed at, at what the Lord had to say about the future. And you say, where do you find that? Well, the scripture that we started with in John 13, verses 36 and 37, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, whither I go Thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why can't I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And here again is Peter allowing himself to fall again into an argument with the Lord. Now he's had some arguments with the Lord before. And sometimes even in his moments of greatest revelation, where when he, he began, they asked him, who's the identity of the Son of God? Who, who do men say that I am? And, and uh, they say, oh, some say you're this, some say you're the other. And, and in Peter's response, thou art the Son of the living God. You are the living Christ. And Jesus said unto him, he said, Peter, he said, this hadn't come to you just because you're a smart guy. He said, I'm going to tell you what, this is heavenly revelation that has come into your life. And just a few 
verses later, the Lord, or Peter begins to argue with the Lord. And, and uh, when the Lord says, I've got to suffer, and oh, Lord, be that far from you. I'm not going to let you suffer. It was in that moment that the Lord turned around and looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block to me. And so Peter arguing with the Lord, and it's subtle, but it's there. But, but Peter evidenced a problem which is quite common with most of mankind. And I would just say here tonight that most of us probably have not outright argued with the Lord in the way that Peter has, but our actions and sometimes our attitudes that we bring out, we argue with the Lord. I'll let you think about that a minute. I said there's times where that because of where we're at, we're immersed in a battlefield. And there's times where battle fatigue can get a hold of you. And then you hear the truth that you either read or else a preacher comes along and begins to speak that word to you. And there is a tendency in your heart and to begin to want to argue with what is being said. And, and, and here's Peter's challenge. He, he didn't like the not now but later message. He didn't like that. He said no. He said here's, here's what I want. I, I want what's coming to me right now. I, why, why can't I go with you, Lord? Why, why can't I go with you where that you're going to go? And, 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 and the Lord turns around. He, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you, you cannot go with me right now. You don't understand that there's a process, that there's something that is still yet to take place in your life. And a lot of times we do have that not now but later exhortation and we don't want the part where we need to prepare and train and study and pray if we're going to serve well. Last Friday night in our Purpose Institute class, I ran across this very principle, and yet it was in the Old Testament. It was whenever you remember down in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 16, chapter 15, chapter 16, uh, where that, that Samuel goes down, and he gets to Jesse's household and, and he anoints David and then he sends David right back to the pasture. And think about that for a moment. About how that the anointing is there. He's anointed to be a king, but the Lord says, you're anointed to be a king, but you're not prepared for a throne yet. And so what I want you to do, David, is to go back down to that bunch of sheep that you've got because there's some lions and bears you're going to have to kill there's some psalms that you're going to have to write there's some songs that you're going to have to learn how to write to sing and there's going to be some prayers that you're going to have to learn how to pray and yet I have to tell you that in my younger years there were parts where that I sensed and felt the anointing and I was felt, felt like I was being held back by God's providence and by God's plan. And uh, it's only as you age and understand spiritual maturity that you realize that the last thing that if you're honest with yourself is the last thing you need after anointing is position. 
because there's a whole lot more that goes with just being anointed. And so Pierce Peter, if Peter's wish would have been granted for him to leave and to go with the Lord, then, then here's what would have happened. He would have missed all of the glorious things that you read about in the book of Acts. He would have totally missed that. He, he would have, have not written any of the epistles and his life would have been cut out of his greatest works that he had done for the Lord. Conference that Justin and I attended, there's a part, and I suppose that as I get older, I have more of an appreciation for art. Where's Sarah? Sarah, she stepped out. Good. Because y'all need to help me put some pressure on her. The older I get, the more I have an appreciation for art. Not all of it, but some of it. The conference that Justin and I attended uh, on the front of the, the, the part, the notes that they passed out to us was a picture of, of an artist by the name of Caravaggio. And he painted a picture of Peter being crucified. And, and you have to look at it and think about it because it's like you don't realize what's going on in the picture because they've got him tilted down. And tradition tells us that they crucified Peter upside down. And I looked at that picture and I thought, I'm going to get that picture and I'm going to find it and I'll get a, a cheap print and, and I'll hang it somewhere in my study so that it will remind me that that's where God's greatest men, that's what's happened in their lives. And John the Baptist, whose head was delivered to Herod, on a charger. Now, how does Sarah play into this? Because Sarah's supposed to be sketching me a picture and she needs to hurry up and get that done so y'all see her after church. All of you tell her. And if you haven't seen what she's done, I'd be happy to let you in. She has done an awesome job of three pictures that I have, one of William Tyndale, one of Charles Spurgeon, another of John Bunyan. And, I, and she's working on one of, of a picture of what is the opening scene of the Holy War uh, that was one of Bunyan's works back in the 1600s. But, but there is a, a part where you start realizing that if Peter would have shortcutted what happened in his life. And I watched... <clears throat> Someone praying here in this church. You're here tonight. And I went by and prayed for you. It's probably been six weeks or eight weeks ago. And, and you were under tremendous burden, tremendous pressure. The easy part would have been for me to find that switch that I can't find, but I want to find as a pastor. You've heard me say this before. If I could flip a switch and it would stop the pain and stop the dilemma and stop the trouble in your life, I would do it immediately. But I have no power in that. And so in the meantime, I pray for you. I hurt for you. I worry for you. 
but stay with the struggle. Don't argue with the Lord. Don't don't try to short circuit what God is longing to do in your life. Because it's still true what Tozer said. Before God can use a man greatly, he will hurt him deeply. And uh, so you just stay faithful to the Lord. And you keep coming to church, whether you feel like it or not. You come and you keep singing. And if you can't sing, come sit up here with me on the front row. I can't sing either, but... Oh, man, it sure feels good to sing. And you come up when you pray with me, and I'll pray with you, and, and we'll worship the Lord, and, and uh, you don't need to preach, but you can listen to me preach, and then we'll pray in the altar. But keep coming to church. The Lord has a way of bringing insight and wisdom and revelation into your life. While all that's going on, Don't argue with the Lord. And then the Lord made two predictions. Whenever whenever Peter had these things to say, the Lord made some predictions. He said, I'm going to tell you how this thing's going to turn out. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, Then saith Jesus unto them, All you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock. They shall be scattered abroad. That prediction that the Lord makes there is, is really, I, I guess you would say, one that the Lord is, is comfortable with, if you want to say that, that, that he's dishonored even today in our society. He's, he's unaccepted at large by our society. There are many professing followers that they are a and they turn away from the Lord whenever the shepherd is smitten. Many people want a popular Lord, a popular Christ, a popular King of glory. And whenever he ceases to be popular in their lives, whenever he ceases to do what they want him to do, then they resign and the sheep scatter in a thousand directions. There there are few tests that that are more severe than having a shepherd that is smitten and rejected by our society. You're probably not aware of this.
He doesn't fit into the parameters that our society wants him to fit into. As long as, and Brother Chad Kirkland mentioned it this morning, as, as long as this Lord has got a chicken in every pot, and as long as there's health, wealth, and prosperity, that's the Jesus that we want. But, but the Lord tells us that there's coming a time whenever this shepherd is going to be strict, stricken and smitten and hit. And practically every disciple he has will turn their back and they will run in the opposite direction. And uh, though Peter and all the other disciples followed that pattern, Scripture tells us that, that they all left. Here's what happened with all of them except for Judas is they recovered and they came back. And then you read, I believe it's in Acts 17, they turned their world upside down. And then there was a second prediction that the Lord gave to Peter in Matthew 26 and 34. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you that this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Now, now Mark gives us a little bit more of a feeling of Peter's response to that. And Now, I want you to think about this, okay? The, the, the person that wrote uh, Mark was, was actually the young man, John Mark. If you remember, that's the nephew of Peter. And so Peter is speaking to John Mark, and John Mark's writing down, the things, and years later, Peter tells John Mark, Mark 14, 31, he's talking about himself, and you see an honesty in this verse, Mark 14, 31, but he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise Likewise also said they all. I'm going to ask you a question here tonight. That when it comes time to write your spiritual biography, that if you're giving your spiritual biography to somebody else to write, is there going to be an honesty in your heart and spirit that you're willing to, to do as Peter did and say pull back all the facade pull back all of the things that defines who I am and John Mark I'm so embarrassed to tell you this but I vehemently said I, I'm going to die with you I, I won't deny you in any way shape form or fashion the more vehemently is a statement that represents an increased disrespect that Peter had for the projection and the outcome of the future. Nobody 
can argue this fervently with the word and come away a winner. You, you can't do it. Peter arguing with the Lord and he cannot come away a winner. Such a person is sooner or later going to be made to eat those words in shame and disgrace. Reminds you of this verse. from probably 45 years ago in the student building in the large youth class, which whenever I was a kid was a teen class, and Donna Paramore was my Sunday school teacher. The lesson was on Absalom. I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and she made Marcus her son and Mike Hales and myself and I'm sure there were others in there but she made us memorize this verse Proverbs 16 18 pride goeth before destruction haughty spirit before a fall it was a lesson on Absalom and to this day it's rare that whenever I'm reading something about Absalom that I don't think back in my mind 45 years ago to that Sunday school class Somewhere you will you will fall if you argue with the word. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. A man's pride will bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. I know that I have some of my friends that, and I'm honored that they listen to me preach. I just want these men to know that the path that we're on as preachers and pastors is a treacherous path. And I routinely and regularly pray for men like Douglas Walker and Wayne Naylor and Myron Powell more recently, Jason Staten. There's men that I pray for in this district. Tony Roberts, Philip Trawick, Stan Davidson. I pray for our ministers here in this congregation because there's somewhere along the way if you can get elevated in pride and you can start looking at where you're serving you think that every bit of this is because of my ability and my administrative capabilities and my spiritual walk. It's a treacherous place. Men, and I pray for you as I pray for myself. Don't let me get to a place where that Pride goes before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. There's others, Jason Calhoun, Ben Weeks, other men, and forgive me for not putting brother or pastor in front of them, but 
regularly pray for those men and scattered throughout my prayer journals. You'll find their names listed there. And I pray God keeps them in a stable a place where their feet do not slip. The second lesson that I want to bring out is, is this, is that there was some arrogance that was involved in his walk. First of all, he disrespected the Lord. Secondly, there was some arrogance that he had in his walk. Peter, he thought he knew more than the Lord. He thought, I'm too strong to fall. I'm, I'm superior over everybody else. Nobody can do it as good as I can. It, it is gross pride to argue with the word of God, whether it's the written word or whether in Peter's case, it was literally God speaking to him. The incarnate God, the, the God-man. Son of man, son of God. All flesh, all God. And, uh, and Peter wanted to argue with him. That's very common. And there are a few challenges that God's word these days that it does not have to endure. I pray, I pray for this church that this church does not ever get to the place where that we argue with Scripture. Some people look at it as impractical and antiquated and out of date and out of sorts and, and y'all are just coming in here and, and you're listening to somebody preach at you and you're listening to somebody trying to control and manipulate your life. But the day's going to come as it did with, with Peter Whenever man's boasted wisdom is going to be humbled in the dust by God. And Philippians speaks to that. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There's coming a day whenever the resurrected evil, they will bow down and they will confess him as Lord. They're still lost, but they will confess him as Lord. There's coming a day when every abortionist will confess him as Lord. There's coming a day when every wicked politician, every wicked leader of any kind of genocide in our world, they will bow down and they will call him Lord. We have to make sure we call him Lord before our death instead of waiting until after our death. And Peter was at a place where it was a treacherous point that he was trying to argue and he was saying, you know what, I'm too strong to fall. Matthew Henry said it like this, there is a proneness in good men to be overconfident in their own strength and stability. We're ready to think ourselves able to grapple with the strongest temptations to go through the hardest and most hazardous services and to bear the greatest afflictions for Christ. But it is because we do not know ourselves. Don't ever get to the place where you think you're immune to failure. 
Psalm 30 and 6, and in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved, but let adversity come. And that thing entirely changes. One of the greatest perils of overconfident attitude is the fact that the person thinking this way is not as cautious as what they ought to be toward temptation. A few months ago, I was doing something I need to go do again. It's been a month since I've done this, but I was riding uh, four-wheelers for Brother Sims, and Brother Sims blind as a bat. I love you, Brother Sims, but he is. He's blind, and he follows me, and we ride at night, and he watches my tail light, and Jeremiah's on the back with him, and thank God that night Jeremiah was not with him, and we come around a curve, and and uh, kept going. Next thing I know, I see the lights off out and down, and it's down into a a, a ditch. It's probably eight feet. <laughs> and Brother Sims is laying over sideways. On I thought I, was, I turned around. I was like, oh my Lord, he's he's dead. He's got a head injury. He's got something. And and I'm telling you, his, his four wheelers laid over on its side, and the lights still shining out front. And the wheels are still turning. I'm Brother Sims. Brother Sims, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right, Pastor. And, and uh, laying down there in that mud. And uh, But here's the scary part. Two weeks before, we'd been riding through that same dirt road. And it was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And riding out in front or crawling out in front of me was a, a water moccasin. that his, He was probably as thick as my forearm. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, he is down there, and man, there are snakes. And here I am, I've got a little small flashlight, and I'm trying to climb down to get down there to him. Oh, dear God, I'm going to get bit by a snake. I'm using this illustration tonight just to tell you that whenever you know that there is danger, you're on high alert I wonder how many people are going to be on high alert tomorrow at 2.30 in the afternoon whenever you're walking through a place. Don't be overconfident. There's not moccasins there, but there's temptations that are there. There's difficulties that are there. I pray that your spiritual senses are at their maximum point so that you do not fall to that point. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God's faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And then the last thing that I would bring out, the first thing that I mentioned was his disrespect for the Lord. The second part was the arrogance that he had in his walk. Now the third thing is the influence that he had over others. Matters of association, they matter. Backsliders don't backslide alone. Gossips cause others to gossip. 
Complainers cause others to complain. Dissidents in a church will cause others to be dissident. Why? Because sin is contagious. And yet Peter was standing up. I, I'm never going to do that. I, I will never fall. I will never drop away from you. Peter could have been a great help to other disciples that night if he would have heard the warnings of the Lord. But he chose to scoff at them. When I was young and God was close and lived inside my heart, the promises inside me, they rose as I made my new start. I gave my very life and soul and put them in his hands. I vowed to grant him all control to the old and new commands. The years rolled by and the church felt fine with studies and hymns and such. And most of me still towed the line until we too lost touch. Of course, God, he hadn't moved away. He never left my side. But when temptations came to say, stay, I lost God as my guide. My conscience, it wasn't crystal clear. There seemed to be no black and white, just twilight, gray, and sometimes fear that followed day and night. I was a liar through and through. My vows, they were strewn here and there, and hard to tell God I love you the times that I did kneel in prayer. No time machine can take me back. I can't undo my sins. Good conscience now, of course, I lack as each new day begins. But while there's faith and joy and love on offer every day, confessing my sins, I look above and with hope I will now obey. I'm going to ask you some questions here tonight that I periodically ask myself, musicians, if you could come. Was there ever a time in your life when you were closer to the Lord than what you are tonight? On March the 13th, 2022. Was, is there ever a time where you were closer to the Lord? Is there ever a time in your life when you had more of a hunger than what you have right now? Was there ever a time in your life whenever the Lord felt more real than what He does right now tonight? If you answered any of those questions in an affirmative and you say and admit yeah, there, there was a time when my prayers had more vibrancy and more strength. There was a time in my life whenever I really sought after and pursued the will of God more than what I'm doing right now. Then I would just remind you, you backslidden. But the Lord, He hadn't moved. You've moved, but He hasn't. These altars are open. 
They're open for people that want to pray. They're open for people that want to confess their sin. Open for 